please join me in prayer before today's message. Heavenly Father, you have given to us your holy word, not to make us feel guilty or to make life difficult or as a chore to study, God, but, but you give us your word as a light to guide us through this dark world, as a way to know you better and to know ourselves better along the way. Give us the courage to make your scriptures our priority. We know you will meet us in our reading, in our meditation, in our prayers, and you will transform us through the power of your Holy Spirit. For you are a good Father who loves us so very much. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. I felt pretty good about today until Ferdy said this sermon was going to be profound. Thanks. <laughs> This, in case you don't know, this is Ferdy taking a day off. He shows up at church, he runs half the service, that's a day off for Ferdy. It's only half the service, right? So today I'm going to talk about um, the wills of God here today, and I want to start with a little bit of story. When, um, when I was 17 years old, I left my hometown of Miami, and I moved across the country to La Mirada, California in Los Angeles County to go to college. And over the next 12 years, I graduated from, well, okay, it didn't take me 12 years to graduate college, let me be clear. But over the next 12 years, I did a bunch of stuff, including graduating from college, uh, married Laura, who's here with us, uh, my first wife, as I like to say, started a career that I'm still in today, and we had our first child, Allie, actually was born out in California. And when Allie was about uh, one and a half years old, oh, I know, right? Cute little Allie. Um, Laura and I decided we wanted to, um, to move back to Florida. Laura was also from Miami. Most of our family was back in, still in Florida. And um, frankly, we were going to start having to pay for a plane ticket for Allie to fly home. And we wanted to be closer to our folks as they got a little older. So I applied for a few jobs. And by the grace of God, I received two job offers here in Orlando within 24 hours of each other. Now, both were from good companies. They, neither one of these jobs would have required me to compromise my morals. They were great opportunities, and God had answered our prayers. He had paved a way, in fact, offered two ways back to Florida. I'm just going to organize my stuff here a bit. But which job should I take, right? That was the question. What was, what was God's will for us here in this situation? And we all face difficult decisions like this in our life at times, right? Choosing between two paths. You know, which job to take? Who should I date? Who should I marry, right? When should I retire? How many kids should I have? You know, for my father right now, he's facing the question of should he continue chemotherapy on a cancer that he knows is inoperable, right? Real weighty decisions in our lives that we have to struggle with. And as Christians, we have another layer to consider with this, right? God's will. What is God's will in all of this for me, for my loved ones, for my family, when I reach these crossroads in my life. Well, I'm going to propose to you today that the will of God is unfortunately one of the most abused and misused phrases in our Christian vocabulary. Sometimes we speak about things happening according to God's will. Sometimes we speak about seeking God's will, right? Sometimes we talk about uh, being obedient and doing God's will. Sometimes we talk about finding or hearing, and so on and so on. So today I want to do two things, hopefully. Fingers crossed. I want to hopefully dissolve some common misconceptions that we may have around God's will. And then secondly, hopefully we can outline a plan for how we can walk in confidence 
and knowing God's will for us. So let's start with today's scripture. I've chosen a passage I think a lot of us probably know well. Actually, when I was talking with Amy, where'd Amy run off to? I know, there she is. She said that we were, she was asking me what I was going to preach on so she could prepare some songs. And she said, this is one of her favorite passages. So this one's for you, Amy. But uh, Romans 12 verses 1 through 2. Some quick background on this passage. I just, I think it's kind of important, um, you know, whenever we're going to dive into a specific verse to look at a little bit of a context. Now in the first half of Romans, the first 11 chapters, Paul's really been, um, he's, he's transitioning. Chapter 12 is a transition. He's transitioning from his sort of exposition, his arguments for God's saving grace and how all that works. And that was really the first 11 chapters. And then he's moving into sort of the response that God's grace should elicit from believers. And in fact, he spends kind of the rest of the book of the Romans talking about how to apply his teachings to Christian behaviors and relationships. So with that in mind, let's take a look at our scripture for today. Maybe, unless I accidentally turn this. One more time. Nope. Maybe you guys just fire it, and we'll keep going. There it is. That's Romans. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of our Lord. Now verse 1 here affirms God's mercy, that by, by God's mercy we can live a life that is holy and pleasing to God. Our entire lives, in fact, are an act of worship. And if the expectation is that as followers of Christ, we are to please God, well, then we, we kind of need to know how to, right? That seems the only fair way to play this game. Well, verse 2 is the heart of the passage, and it sort of tells us how. Don't be conformed to the world. We can see there in verse 2. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind into one that discerns God's will, his good and acceptable and perfect will. These are really two powerful verses that give us quite frankly, kind of a challenging but hopefully encouraging view of what our lives can be, right, as the Christians. We can, we can please God, we can know God, and it will be holy and it will be good. I don't know about you, but that's, that's a pretty inspiring way to think about what my life could mean to God. But how do we discern the will of God, as Paul says, so that we can know what is good and acceptable and perfect? And more specifically for today, is it Is it realistic or even biblical to expect an obvious answer from God before making major decisions? And to know the answers and to know what Paul really means here by when he says the will of God in our text from Romans, we need to understand a little more clearly what God's will is and what we are intended to know of it, if any. And I apologize, but I am a a warm man, and so you either get to watch me sweat or you watch me do that. I've given you the better option, trust me. All right, let's turn to scripture for clarity on today. Or children's church, if there's any children. Sure, now's a good time. Why don't you head out? What's next? Can we get maybe, uh, maybe this? Hmm? That sounds great. In scripture, we find two different aspects of God's will. Uh God's will of decree and his will of desire. And knowing me, this half of the church, I'm just gonna, you're going to be the decree half and you're going to be the desire half. It's a good desire, don't worry. 
But um, these are also often called God's secret will and God's revealed will, respectively. And the clearest contrast we have between these two wills we see in Deuteronomy 29, 29. Fingers crossed. Nope. Can I get the Deuteronomy slide, please? <laughs> there we go. Thank you. So here's what we read in Deuteronomy. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So God's will of decree, let's start with this first one. That worked, thank you. God's will of decree is what Deuteronomy 29 refers to as the secret things which belong to the Lord and the Lord alone. The sovereign will is, is that which will always come to pass. No matter what, God decrees it, it's gonna happen, right? There's nothing anyone can do to stop God's will of decree. And there's a couple examples we can pull from Scripture to take a look at this real quickly. The first is we see in the creation events, right? God did not ask for there to be light. God willed it into existence by his decree. I found a really great quote from R.C. Sproul about this. He said, he did not request the light to shine. Neither did he coax, cajole, or woo it into existence. I kind of love that image. But it was a matter of absolute authority and power. No creature enjoys this power of will. No man's will is that efficacious. Men issue decrees and then hope they will bring about their desired effects. God alone can decree with the necessity of consequence. That's a lot of big words to say. God wills it, it happens. A different example of this same will of decree we can see in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, as the new church is, is praying for boldness after Jesus' ascension. They say, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, this is the church praying, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So, so we see in this passage that that Herod did what God decree would happen, right? We also see Pontius Pilate did what God decreed would happen. The crowds that were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. They did what God had decreed would happen. And in fact, the Gentile soldiers that, that drove the nails into the innocent Christ, they did what God decreed would happen. All known by God, all according to his plan, so that we may be saved. God's will of decree should be a great comfort to us. I think. We can't know everything, but God does, right? We can't know the end from the beginning, but God does, right? That should, we should find comfort in that because, you know, sometimes we don't always get what we want out of life, right? And sometimes life's, life's hard to understand, and sometimes it's confusing, but we can know that God, God's got a plan, and it's as God's will always is. Perfect. Right, to take this even one step further, we see in Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, I think that we all know this verse, right? All, that's us, we who love God. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things, he's going to work all things together for good in our lives. That's God's will of decree. It's sovereign. It's unfallible. And it belongs to him and him alone. And that's the key. Because, in fact, this takes us to the second aspect of God's will that we read about. That's God's will of desire. 
right? It's the other half of that verse from Deuteronomy. Let's take a look at that again. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. We talked about that. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. That's, that's all of us forever, right? That we may do all the words of this law. God's will of desire is his revealed will to us. It refers to his commands or his, his moral will. In short, this is, this is God's desire for how we should live our lives in order to please him. It is literally the Bible. <laughs> Spoiler alert, right? And, it, and it's chock full of all the things we need to know God, right? To be able to pursue his holiness, to be able to test and approve of what his will is for our lives. And we, we see this throughout Scripture, right? God, I mean, this is from the Ten Commandments, through the Beatitudes, all over the place. God is revealing his will to us, right? God has revealed to us what he expects of us as his people. Can you see how God's will of decree is different from God's will of desire? Church, say yes. Make, yeah. make me feel good. Thank you. I've done, <laughs> done something good so far today. Thank you. When God decrees, let there be light, there's light right? When God says, I'm going to work out everything in your life for good, he works everything out in his life for good. That's his will of decree. But, but when he says, thou shalt not steal, well, we can steal, <laughs> can't we, right? When Jesus says in Matthew 5, I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I think we're in a room full of adulterers, right? When Jesus says, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. Man, it's a lot easier to hate my enemies, isn't it? We can go against God's will of desire. You see, we all, we all live in a post-Genesis 3 world. We all live after the fall. We're all corrupted by sin. We're, we're unable to please God in and of ourselves. And because sin has darkened our mind and it's perverted our thinking, God in his grace and in his mercy has revealed his will to us most importantly through his word, right? Because, because we steal and we lust and we hate our enemies by nature. It's kind of our default in a way, right? But God's will of desire, his revealed will makes known to us what pleases him and ultimately what's for our own best interest. Don't steal, don't lust, don't hate. We can disobey, but, but not without consequences, right? For, for while we're not forced to follow God's will of desire, like his will of decree, we are held accountable to it by God. In fact, if you finish Romans 12 and we read on through Romans 13, it's, it's, it's a pretty extensive list of teachings that Paul rattles off that reveal to us God's will of desire. As a matter of fact, most of the whole New Testament, quite frankly, is that. It's God revealing his will of desire. For if you signed up to follow Jesus, God's like, here's what you need to know. I'll give it to you, Right? It's all here. It's in that book. Which brings us back to the daily decisions we have to face, where I started with my story. Because quite frankly, I don't know about you, I don't worry too much if the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Right? Check. Got that. Will of decree. It's going to happen. Right? Um, and quite frankly, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. I get it. Check. But what about those day-to-day -day things? Like, like I talked about, what about when I got two job offers? I got to figure out which one am I supposed to take? Right? Or maybe, who should I be voting for in this next election? Or is, insert your favorite social issue here, biblically honoring, right? What about masks or vaccine mandates, right? Is, is it God's will that I buy this house or this car or I take out this loan? 
Labor Day sales are coming up soon. I don't know about you, but is it God's will that I get this new 80-inch 4K TV on sale? Yes, just FYI, it is. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that would be wrong. Um, how do I know God's will in these everyday things of life, right? And this is where I think kind of Christian culture has led to some bad theology that's, that's really done us a disservice. Because I, I propose to you today that we have manufactured a, uh, a false will to guide us through these day-to-day decisions. And in fact, it's what we'll call today God's will of direction. I don't have a scripture verse to share with this one because there isn't one. It's this natural, misguided desire to know what God has planned for us. I want to know the secret will, right? I want to know what's around the corner, right? You're at a fork of the road and you're out between option A and B and you say, say Lord, which, which way should I go, right? And, and let me be clear, the problem is not the question. The problem is not asking God for wisdom. And, and in fact, we should seek God for wisdom. And in fact, God's revealed will in scripture says so in James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it'll be given to him. The problem I think is how we expect God to answer. <laughs> because we, we sort of, there's a sort of popular conception that, that God through some sort of mystical means is, is going to reveal to us what's the right thing to do here, right? And, and maybe it's option A vanishing, or, or maybe it's um, just a feeling we get about option B isn't quite right, or, we, or maybe we flip open our Bible like it's a tarot deck, and we just sort of point to a random verse and see what happens, right? Some sort of sign along the way. Quite, I, I sum it up like this. We kind of treat God's will like a magic eight ball, right? We just sort of shake it up. You remember these? And you just sort of see what answer flows to the top, and you're like, okay, all right, that works, Right? And I get it. I've done it. You've done it. We've all done it. It's okay. Mass confession's a good thing. And there's some good intentioned reasons why we do this, right? First of all, we want to be pleasing to God, right? We, I love you, Dad. I, I, I want to do the right thing here. I want you to be happy with me. We have the best intentions, but we, we end up sort of over-spiritualizing these things. Sometimes it's because we have too many choices, right? And, and this might be more true than any time in history. We are surrounded with options. It's pretty easy to go, oh, hey, the grass looks pretty green over there. I'm going to, oh, it's over there. You don't have to go far on the internet to find somewhere else where the grass looks pretty green over here, right? And then eventually you're like, ah, God, what do I do? <laughs> I'm just going to wait on the Lord, right? And I'm just going to wait on the Lord. And I'm just going to wait on the Lord. And we don't, we wait so long, we don't get anything done for the kingdom. Sometimes we, we look for this will of direction because we want perfect fulfillment now, We've sort of forgotten that God said, you're not going to have heaven on earth. You're going to be pilgrims. You're going to be outcasts. If you follow me, you're going to be strangers in a strange land. And lastly, sometimes, and I say this from my own life, we, we look for this because we're cowards, right? We pray, we pray God, just, just make everything okay so that, that nobody gets hurt and everything's fine. God's plan for his son, his perfect son, was for him to be beaten and betrayed and crucified. Why would we expect a life of comfort? And a big problem with this preoccupation with this will of direction is that we, we sort of, or excuse me, one of the problems with this will of direction is we become preoccupied with sort of the future. 
that sort of becomes our goal. We want to know the future, right? We, we kind of turn our, our faith into a horoscope in this sort of vain attempt to determine what life is going to hold for us. And friends, I just say, don't believe the lies of astrology or seers or anyone that tells you that you, they can tell you what the future holds. It's wrong. It's a sin. God alone knows the beginning from the end. Only him. And it's his God's way, see, is not a crystal ball like this. God's way is wisdom, right? He doesn't want us to know what tomorrow holds. He wants us to trust him today, that he holds tomorrow in his hands. So it brings us back to our scripture for today, Romans. Good old Romans. Look at that meaty verse up there. Paul exhorts us to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. So how do we get there? Right. First, I hope you can see now clearly that what Paul's referring to when he talks to the will of God here is that will of desire. We can know this will of God, right? What is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect, it can be known to us. But, but how do we get this transformation, right? How, how can we discern God's will? Well, I have good news and bad news. It's quite simple, but it's not easy. And I've gone to this church with you, so I know you've heard this before. Um, but it doesn't make it any less true, but it's also the only answer I've got that works every time guaranteed. This is it. It's the Bible, right? God's will is revealed in the, this is my Bible, FYI, if you didn't know. God's will is revealed in the Bible authoritatively, decisively, infallibly. If you want to discern what God's will is for your life, it's here, right? It's, it's a very thick book, this one's like 2,000 pages with the maps and the tables and everything in the back, right? But page after page is written to help us discern God's will. Start here. In fact, in 2 Timothy 3.16, we read all scripture is inspired by God for a whole bunch of stuff. There's a whole bunch of stuff here for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Wow, every good work? Yes, my friends, every good work. What that means is there is no good work that you or I will have to do or that we will be held accountable for that is not in the scriptures, that we did anything besides the Bible to know about. We don't need to wait for a sign or a feeling or a dream or a shiver in our liver or the, a, a teaching from a specific religious or political pundit to know what God wants. He's told us. The Bible is, this is one of those important theological words, sufficient to help us discern every good work, which is why I say, this is it. This is the place. So this is step one. Be immersed in the Bible. You will find great value, I promise, in having God's revealed will a daily part of your life. I have spent years where it was not, and I have spent years when it was, and I can tell you the quality of my life was much improved when it was. Now, in Scripture, we discover, discover that we're also given to prayer, to wise counsel, to the church, to fellowship, all these things in our lives to help us. And they are. They're incredibly helpful for us in discerning God's will. I need to, I need to learn from my elders and, and my youngers, quite frankly, from all of their wisdom. I need to work it out with God in prayer. I need to wrestle with him over things. I need to talk with my pastor and my elders to get guidance. Um... But all of this is subordinate to Scripture. All of it. All of this needs to be informed and transformed by Scripture. Why? Because it's God's revealed will, desire for our lives, to instruct us for every good work. 
right? So let's break down our verse in Romans for today. First of all, do not be conformed to this world. There's one thing I want to point out in this. I don't know why I keep walking to this one. This one's way closer. Do not be conformed to this world. This is for us. A lot of times, I've misread this verse in my head before and thought, don't be conformed uh, by this world. It's to this world. This is action for us to take. We are not the victims of the world and, oh, don't let the world get you, although the world wants to get you. But um, this is for us. Don't let yourself actively do not conform to the world. Too often we declare God's will to simply be the world's will with spiritual language. And we must get much better at questioning conventional wisdom and, quite frankly, our own wisdom. And asking, is this conformity to God or is it conformity to the world or even to Christian culture? Because that's an easy shorthand, right? It's the way it's always been done. Because the world, quite frankly, tells you this. The world says, you do you, right? You do you. I don't know why I'm getting so animated when I say that. The world tells you, if you feel it, go for it. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. A real popular phrase in culture right now is, what's your truth? I frankly submit to you that my truth does not matter. If I have signed up to follow Jesus, God's truth is what matters in my life. Thank you, brother. Right? And if we want to do God's will, if we want to be in God's will, if we want to know God's will, it begins by clinging to God and not being conformed to the world and its ways. Because the world is relentlessly trying to get us to conform to its ways. Number two, so don't be conformed. Got it. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I said a moment ago that all we need to know uh, the revealed will of God is, is found right here. Our minds will only be transformed as we engage his word and fill our minds with it rather than the social media influencers or your friend's Facebook meme, memes, right? Or, or talk show podcasts or Netflix documentaries or quite frankly lies told by pornography or thought leaders or best-selling authors or Fox News or the New York Times. I don't care which side of the aisle you sit on because it doesn't matter. Whatever it is in your life that the world is telling you how to think, everything we need for life and godliness is here. This is the source of mind renewal, and it needs to be our primary input so that by it we can test all those other inputs. And then the result, right? That by this renewal of our minds, that by testing we may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The Word of God lets us test what is in the will of God by revealing His will to us, it's true, but it also gives us guidance on things that aren't within his circle of his moral will. And we'll flesh this out a bit, right? You may have heard of God's will referred to as a, a number of different ways. I've heard it um, referred to as a corn maze with one way in and lots of dead ends. It's not very encouraging, right? Sometimes uh, an often one we hear about is um, a bullseye, right? Or a dartboard, like God's will, the center of the bullseye. And if you nail it, good job. And if you don't, you can see less, less points on God's will. I'm not sure exactly how that works. When I was preparing for the sermon, I actually read a great, um, someone gave the analogy that following God's will was like watching Bob Ross paint. You know, the, guy, the old PBS painter? Because like at the end, he'd do this one thing and you're like, oh, it's mountains. Um, no matter the faulty analogy, we, we, we sort of come up with this idea that like um, God's will is A, right? And if I choose B, well, now I've fallen outside of God's will. Like it's a path 
somehow that we, we, can, we can err off of. And I think we'd better be served to think of God's will as a circle. So follow me here for a second. What is inside the circle is God's revealed will. Right? And, it, and if a question in your life is answered in God's revealed will inside this circle, we should do that. Because if we don't, it's sin. Right? So there's the easy answer. If it in, lands inside the circle, and man, there's a lot of stuff God has uh, revealed to us about what's best for our lives. This is why we should read about it. But, um, but any issue that isn't inside this circle, it's kind of yours. Right? It's, it's ours to choose with freedom and hopefully with wisdom right? for our own good. There's this, um, there's this great example I'd like to share. Um, Todd Hockenberry's little shout out to Todd Hockenberry's Sunday School class. They're, um, they're reading this book called Hearing God right now by Dallas Willard. My wife's in the class, and she knew I was preaching on this a while back, and um, so she flagged this story for me. She's like, you should read this. Um, and it's great. So I'm going to read this. This is a little excerpt from the book. Uh, Dallas Willard writes, when our children, John and Becky, were small, they were often completely in my will as they played happily in the back garden. Though I had no preference that they should do the particular things they were doing there, or even that they should be in the back garden instead of playing in the rooms or having a snack in the kitchen. Generally, we are in God's will whenever we are leading the kind of life he wants for us. And that leaves a lot of room for initiative on our part, which is essential. Our individual initiatives are central to his will for us. We have a role to play here. So when we're faced with an op- uh, options, for me it was when I was faced with this uh, choice between two jobs. Laura and I prayed about it a lot. We talked to our pastor about it. I talked to my college buddies who were at similar places in their careers for advice. And it was actually one of my college friends, Joel Lingenfelter, who asked me this question, which obviously I've not forgotten to this day. He simply said, which of the two jobs do you think you would most regret not taking? Ooh, man, did that clarify a few things for me. And literally within seconds, I knew which job I was going to take, right? It clicked a lot of stuff in place for me. And it wasn't, it wasn't a, a message from on high or some vision in a dream. It was just a wise question from a godly man who helped. And that's how we need to use the Bible in effect. It, it, the Bible needs to be, um, we need to look through God's will of desire as like a lens, a lens by which to see how it reveals wisdom in these non-moral scenarios. You have a financial decision to make? God teaches a lot about money and debt and saving and planning. It'll help you with your decisions. If you need advice, God talks about wise counsel, relationships, love, leadership, courage, anger, all kinds of stuff. It's in there. All topics covered inside Scripture. And when we do this, when we, when we, we sort of immerse ourselves in Scripture and, and in God's perfect wisdom, our new minds now shaped by Scripture have a mature readiness to make wise decisions that we, we just wouldn't have had before. And here's the warning. I, I really try to paint a positive picture of where we need to go, but, but here's the warning. If we don't do this as Christians, we are woefully unequipped to differentiate between our own desires and God's purpose. So we need to immerse ourselves in the Word. We need to meditate on it. We need to learn of God's revealed will and, and let that transform our mind, as Paul says, so that we can wisely and prudently make decisions in our lives. And in those moments when we need to make a decision that isn't addressed 
by God's revealed will. Make it in freedom, right? Make, make it in confidence. Make it, now, there, there might be sort of like a better decisions according to the world or maybe to your earning potential or your future mother-in-law's opinion of you, but it doesn't for one second take you outside of God's will, right? And in fact, it's impossible for your decisions to do so. I could have taken the other job that I took. It was in Lake Mary. I could have had a, I would have had a very different life. I, I almost certainly would not be standing in front of you today preaching this sermon, right? But I wouldn't have been outside God's will to do so. But here's the catch. It doesn't work passively. We don't, we don't pursue our, we, <clears throat> excuse me, we must pursue our faith in order to gain God's wisdom, right? We're not, we're not magically or mystically transformed and then somehow spurred on to learn godly choice, make godly choices. No, 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 my brothers and sisters. First, we have to believe, and if you're here today, I assume you have said, yes, I believe. Amen. Right? But then we must take action on that belief. Our belief cannot just be a lip service. Right? And then as we take that action, as, as we immerse ourselves in God's teaching and in his wisdom, through this lifelong process of sanctification by God's word and by the Spirit, we experience ongoing transformation some might even say reformation by God's grace and mercy. Mercies which, as Sam just sang about, he renews for us morning by morning, giving us strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. So thank you for letting me share some of God's word with you today. Um, preparing for this sermon is always, uh, preparing any sermon is always, I feel like it's what I needed to hear in my life, so thank you. I hope the exploration of... Um, God's will, both his will of decree and his will of desire, helps us all understand a little bit better the God we serve, and I hope it helps raise some of those warning flags when we, we may be searching for that will of direction that really is not there. Remember, God doesn't want us to know tomorrow. He wants us to trust him today. In fact, the Bible never says that we should seek God's will. It says we should seek his kingdom and we should do his will. And all God's people said, amen.